0: Let's pray together. His wounds have paid my ransom. Lord God, as we come thinking upon your word this evening, we ask that the power of the cross that all that you have done for us would touch our hearts and lives afresh tonight. And that we would hear your voice, small and still perhaps, or loud and clear, but we would hear your voice. Tell us that his wounds have paid Our ransom. (coughs) Amen. So how are you tonight? I'm fine. It's not what you say. You say, I'm fine. I ask you, how are you? And you reply without even thinking, I'm fine. How often do we say those words any given week? I'm fine. How often do we put on a smile? And how often underneath it we're not smiling? How often is the I'm fine simply a mask covering over what is going on deeper within? Sometimes there are no smiles. In our passage this evening, Abraham, the friend of God, the man who had waited and waited and waited some more for God to grant him, to bring to him what he had promised a son. Finally had the joy of receiving. The joy of receiving Isaac. The son whose very name means laughter. Things were were good. Finally things were good. Life was finally steady. All was surely as it should be. And then out of the blue. Came God's voice again. This time, not with a promise, but with a command. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. We can only guess. At how Abraham was feeling when he heard God's voice. Deep shock. Confusion. Anger even. And yet throughout tonight's passage. Abraham doesn't express any of those emotions. At least not openly as we read the passage. In fact, all we're told is that he gets on with the job in hand. He does what he's been told to do. So he organises this trip to the region of Moriah. He collects the firewood, he gets help from two servants, and he gets his son his only son, the son. Whom he loves, he gets Isaac ready for a journey towards what surely must have been a dreaded destination. So, tonight, no masks. Let's take them off right at the beginning. Let's be honest. If we hadn't heard this story before, if this was the first time we had come to this passage, if we didn't know how it ends, how deeply would we be disturbed by what we have just heard? (coughs) Let's be even more honest, even though we do know the outcome of the story, even though You've probably heard this passage before, perhaps preached on a number of times. If we're honest, don't we still struggle with what's happening? Don't we find ourselves asking, how can God ask Abraham to do such a thing? And maybe we ask, and how can Abraham do it? How could Abraham go the whole way to that mountain, go the whole way to lifting the very knife before God stays his hand? Yes, even though we're told at the beginning of this chapter in verse one that God is testing Abraham, we'll probably feel very uneasy about the whole passage. And I want to say tonight. That that's good, that that's good that you feel uneasy. Because what that tells us, what that shows us, is that we live in a very different era, a very different time and culture than Abraham. It tells us that we live in a time and a place that has been influenced, influenced by the ethics and morals of the gospel. For while it's true that God's word is not as widely known or as respected as it once was in our land. Nevertheless, there are scriptures, God's word, God's goodness, God's love. That has been revealed down through the years. Has had a strong influence in shaping many of our laws. Our morality. Yes. though Those who would say there is no God might like to to refute this. The truth is that much of what we enjoy today. Much of what we hold dear. Much of what tells you that this just doesn't feel right comes because of the gospel influence down through the years in our land. So yes, we should be thankful that we live where we do. We should be thankful that we live when we do. For in Abraham's day, in his time, in his culture, sadly, terribly, human sacrifice was not unknown. Yes, even the sacrifice of children. In fact, some groups believe that their gods demanded it. You want a good harvest? You want the rains to come? You want to be blessed? Then you give to God what he demands, a sacrifice. You give to your little God... So that he or she would give to you. That's how people believed it worked. So sadly, terribly, this sort of divine command would not have been unknown to Abraham. He could well have shuddered as he saw his Canaanite neighbours Prepared to do things just like this. But of course, this wasn't any Canaanite deity. This wasn't a a pagan god that Abraham had heard from. This was the living God. This was the God who he had grown to know over the years. The Lord who had led him out of the east. The God who had time and time again rescued him, blessed him. This was the God who had promised him so many years before to make him and his descendants into a great nation. In Genesis chapter 12. So how could God now ask him to offer up his only son? Abraham must have been devastated. He must have been confused. And yet, as I've said, we see no signs of it in the text. No signs of confusion. No signs of desperation. Could it be? Is it possible that Abraham had such a deep and real and trusting relationship with his God That he knew in some way that God must do something. For Abraham obeyed. Obeyed without causing a scene. There's no mention of Abraham trying to offer God something else instead. Abraham simply saddles his donkey. Organizes Isaac and the two servants. And gets ready to leave for the mountain. The mountain that God specifically had directed him to. Did Abraham realize this was a test? Perhaps. Perhaps not. But what is sure that Abraham was going to trust? He was going to obey. He was going to follow the one who had shown his faithfulness to him through many years. Over the past few weeks, uh, some of us have been coming along to the Life Explored course. And as we've done so, we've been thinking upon the question, what's the greatest gift that God could give you? What's the greatest gift that God could give you? And as we've thought about that, we have begun to think about those things that really matter to us. And perhaps we've also realised, as we have done that, that there can be many other things that people choose to trust, that people choose to put first in their lives, rather than God. The, The Bible calls these things simply idols. Anything that we choose to depend on, to trust, to put first in our life, Rather than God, the Bible calls an idol. Now some of these idols we've learnt are very obviously damaging, dangerous, deceitful. No one would, would ever think about drugs or perhaps hoarding wealth. Those are things that we naturally think, oh yes, what a terrible idol to be caught in something like that. Greed, drugs, Alcohol, something that's ruining our lives. But what I have uh, grown to see and reflected on over the last weeks is how many, if not most of the idols that separate people from God aren't really bad at all. They're actually positive. They're good things. The problem is, That these good things, these positive things, can be put up in a pedestal, in a place where they were never meant to be. The problem is that many people look for these things to fulfill them, to satisfy them, in ways they were never meant to really do. And they can never live up to. Good things Put things out of place. Like work. Like our culture. Dare I say it, even our church. And yes, perhaps even our families. Good gifts from God. But none of them are meant to sit first in our lives in God's place. None of them, no matter how good they are, were given and meant to eternally, enduringly satisfy us. Abraham and Sarah had been given the most precious, a wonderful gift, the precious gift of a son, Isaac. But here, now, God was testing Abraham. Was God saying, Who do you love more? Is it me? Or is it Isaac? Or perhaps in a deeper sense, the test was was even more complex than that. Perhaps Isaac represents all of God's blessings. For Isaac was indeed the son of promise. He was the one whom Abraham trusted and believed through which all his descendants would flow. God's promises would come through Isaac. So was God saying to Abraham, do you really love me or do you only love my blessings? This evening is God saying to any of us, I have good gifts for you. Blessings here on earth. Families, our church, blessings in work. Blessings in relationships. And I have an eternal blessing waiting for you. I have a home in heaven waiting you. But don't think that's what it's all about. Don't think it's just about what I want to give you. Because I want to know you and love you. And I want you to know and love me. Tonight God doesn't just want to give us things like a ticket to heaven. But God is looking for a real and lasting relationship with us. He wants us to draw close to him. Not just for today but for eternity. Because God wants us all like Abraham to learn day in and day out what it is to know him and love him more. Even when we don't really understand what is going on. In verse 4 we hear how after three days a number of course which should stir our minds and make us begin to think of a later saviour. Abraham finally sees Mount Moriah in the distance. And he tells his servants to remain there. For he and Isaac will worship and then we will come back to you. When we read these words, do we stop and wonder, was Abraham just trying to cover things over? Was he keeping Isaac in the dark? But when we look at what Abraham had already come through, what God had already led him through, we begin to realize that Abraham had a history with God. He had learnt that God could bring life where there was no life. Abraham had seen Sarah even though she was well, well, well beyond childbearing age. He had seen her bear child. The very child that he had with him now. So we begin to consider what Abraham meant when he said. We will come back to you. The writer to the Hebrews tells us. By faith Abraham when God tested him. Offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises. Was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be, rec- will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Hebrews one to 17-19. As painful and as difficult and as amazing as all this may sound to us, the scriptures point to the fact that Abraham trusted God so much. That even though he didn't understand it. That even though he was confused. That even though his emotions must have been a roller coaster. That he had come to believe. That God would see him through. And so he obeyed. As a family we have over the last while. As the children get a bit older. Got into playing board games together. Uh, One of her favourites at the moment is Monopoly. I don't know how many of you have uh, got the Monopoly board out recently or how many memories you have of getting the Monopoly board out in the past. Uh, But if there's ever a game that raises tension, ever a game that brings out the killer instinct, even in those who are are usually peaceable and kind of easy going, it's Monopoly. Because after all of those properties have been purchased, after a few times round the board, that's when the rubber hits the road, isn't it? That's when people begin to look at each other and begin to look at what they've got and they begin to work out in their heads what deals can be done. They begin to say those those words, what will you give me for old Kent Road? They begin to look and say, I'll swap you the gas works and the electricity company. For whatever it is. All the time, in the back of our minds, and certainly in our family anyway, we're all looking for a little edge, aren't we? We're all thinking, I just get a little bit more than they'll get out of this deal. They'll get something, I'll get something plus a little bit more. More. When it comes to monopoly and maybe when it comes to life, when it comes to deals, when it comes to swapping, we all want to get the best deal. We all want to get that little bit more. All the time, of course, we're saying, oh, this is a fair deal, a fair swap. Things are things are good. This evening, we come tonight and tomorrow to think about a deal, a swap, you might say, that was probably the most uneven. In fact, it is certainly the most uneven there ever was. For I know that as you hear and as you listen to tonight's passage, your mind, like mine, can't help of being going to another beloved son. Just look at the passage briefly for a moment. Abraham journeys to Moriah. As we said it takes him three days to the mountain. Mount Moriah is a region that we hear of. Only one other place in the scriptures. 2nd Chronicles 3, one. When we hear that Solomon begins to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, Jerusalem. In verse 8, Abraham tells his confused son who's been asking why they haven't got an animal for the sacrifice. He tells him, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide the lamb. Go back even before that to verse 6. And you will see something again that almost miss, I almost missed. And yet there's significance in it. For who carries the firewood up the mountain? Isn't it Isaac, the one who is about supposedly to die? Don't we see here a picture of Jesus carrying his cross? (coughs) And yes, as Abraham prepares to wield the knife and God stops him, he tells him in verse 12, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son. Your only son. Yes, God provided a a ram that day. An animal would be sacrificed, killed in Isaac's place. But surely we can't but think this evening of another beloved son. Our minds hear those powerful, well-known, the most famous words in Scripture this evening. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yes, tonight as we think about Abraham on that mountain, Struggling with what he was being asked to do. But trusting that God would provide. We begin to think about tomorrow. And a hill. A hill that may well probably was within eyesight of the place where Abraham stood. And we consider another father. Who watched on in pain as this time. There would be no last minute reprieve. The beloved only son had to truly die. Friends, the truth is, with our masks off, that we all face trials on this earth. There are difficult, sometimes very difficult days. There are people who face heart-wrenching situations. There are times when nothing seems to make sense. And perhaps we, like Abraham, we're just left wondering, what is God doing? Perhaps we're even left saying, God, that is not fair. If that's how we feel tonight, then know that God understands. For what happened on the Hill of Calvary was not fair. It was not just. It was just love. Love shown supremely. Love shown completely. Love offered to us. As we come now shortly to approach and celebrate the depth of God's love for us as we approach his table. Let us really and truly personally know God's love ourselves. That's prayer. Lord God, you gave us your only son. He died so that we might live. He took our sin, our pain, our iniquities, that we might be clothed. In clothes and garments that are spotless and white as snow. That we might be made new. That we might be made right with you. Heavenly Father, this was no fair swap. This was simply love poured out. We pray tonight that you would again touch our lives with the depth of your love and lead us to live for you. Amen.